the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Always lovely to be here. I got to tell you, of course, anybody that's listened to my show for any length of time knows I like reading a lot, especially about scientific things that are happening right now, the, because that has a big impact on the economy. Uh, you know, uh, throughout the years, we talked about you know the smartphones before they became smart. We talked about, uh, actually, let me prove something to you. So there's a company called Palm Source. PSRC was the stock symbol. Okay. The uh you remember a little thing called a Palm Pilot? That was the uh, it was a digital assistant before they had smartphones. What is a digital assistant? Well, it was one of these things instead of Rolodexes. When I first started in the business in sales, I had this job selling advertising space in a magazine, one across, you know, Ohio. Pennsylvania, parts of Kentucky, Indiana, a little bit of Michigan. And I had to bring a Rolodex. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> uh, I literally had to bring a Rolodex with me. And uh, every night I'd have to use it. And I I actually got a portable computer. They weren't called laptops back then. <laughs> it was an 8088 processor, if you know what that is. Yeah, I think I had 650 uh, kilobytes of memory. <laughs> so uh, I'm really dating myself here. The uh, But it was, a, let, let me just tell you, it was a different day. And so when I was talking, you know, I would talk to people about the future. Oh, you know what? They're working on this. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know, it was in Popular Science Magazine or it was in uh, the uh, MIT Technology Review, uh, one of these other things. Oh, that's that's never coming. Really? The, um, okay. <laughs> but at any rate, so, and it's still there. I mean, there are a lot, well, now that you have the internet, it is mind boggling all this stuff that you can find out if you have the time and if you have interest in it. So let me just bring you up to speed a little bit about what I've been reading about lately. And, and this, this stuff, a lot of it's actually old already. Uh, when I say old, it's more than a year old, not much more than a year. Some of it's only a few months old. That's considered ancient these days. If you don't believe me, ask any 30-year-old. <laughs> they change 
they like change, like changing their clothing. Uh, that, that's how fast they like major change. And that's fine. Because they're about to be really happy. You know, changes that are coming about in the economy. And everybody's worried about the economy doing poorly. I'm not worried about the economy doing poorly. What I'm worried about is that stock prices may go sideways for quite a while before they begin another big tear. Now, if stock prices were to drop by 30 or 40%, I would be going, woohoo, you know, that's awesome. Why? Because they're underpriced again. And I don't have all my money in stocks. So if they did drop, I'd have the ability to rebalance my portfolio and, and increase my exposure to stocks. That's what you need to think about. Most people think, well, I'm going to avoid that decline. Uh, yeah. There are two types of people who can devo- avoid declines in the stock market, the lucky and the liars. And those are the only two types. And by the way, you keep pushing your luck. One of these days, you're either going to admit that you couldn't do it or you're going to get to join that second group. <laughs> you get to be the liar. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's impossible to tell what's going to happen in the next year or two in the stock market. Now, think about that. I'm saying the next year or two. I get calls all the time. What do you think stocks will do over the next six months? And yes, that's exactly the voice they use, too. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Unless they're female, you know, <laughs> females, <laughs> their voices are slightly different. But you know what? You know, what's really interesting. Females have a tendency not to ask that question. It's it's uncanny. One of those differences, I think, that's maybe genetic. You know, like guys are normally heavier than females, and uh, you, you can't. There are differences that you're just born with, and I think that's a, a personality trait that many females are not born with. Always trying to anticipate what's going to happen over the next six to twelve months in the stock market. I can't even tell you when the last time a female asked me that question was. And so, you know what a lot of you males should do? You should ask your wives for investment advice. Yes. <laughs> you should let, you should listen when they, when they speak. Because my experience, and maybe, you know, I'm just one guy, so that's not a good big sample size, has been that uh, most females, especially uh, older females, have a tendency to be much better investors than their husbands. Like by far, not all of them, obviously, but the uh, for the vast majority, I would say, yep, probably. And they have a tendency to listen. I used to think when I was younger, it was because, you know, back in the day, uh, most women did most of the shopping for, for the family. They did a lot of that. The husband had to cut the grass. <laughs> you know, he had to take the garbage out. So they would do a lot of the shopping and they were familiar with a lot of the products that publicly traded companies made. So anyway, that's just been my experience. Uh, it, it could be completely wrong because I'm just one guy. And, uh, but if you had a whole bunch of, of guys together uh, in my industry, I think there's a pretty good chance that they would all be saying same, similar types of things. Uh, so anyway, back to what I was talking about, observing. And that's a, uh, that's a key, observing what's happening right now. What's going on right now in the economy? Where is the growth coming from? Well, I have an advantage there because I have some tools set up. I scan stocks every day. Uh, Mike Seeger publishes a list of those stocks that are coming up. Those are the same stocks that I'm looking at e- each and every day. 
why am I looking at them? Well, it gives me an idea of which companies are doing well right now. I'm not trying to forecast which ones are going to do well in the future. I'm looking at which ones are doing well right now. Why? Well, it helps form an opinion over what's going on in the overall economy. You see what's going on right now. I mean, you look at a stock like Tesla, it's done extremely well. The, uh, I've done well with that company. I would not buy and hold it, by the way. That's not an endorsement of Tesla. I'm just saying. That thing has run an awful long way in the last five years, and it's come up on scans multiple times. And when you look at what Elon Musk is doing, and now what's really interesting to me over the last mm, probably nine to 12 months, the number of competitors popping up is multiplying exponentially. Now, the market that Tesla's in is big enough for a whole bunch of really big players. I'm not worried about their sales slowing down. Uh, if you look at the valuation on that stock, it's high. I don't own it anymore. But why? Well, part of the reason is you know, Ford, GM, Honda, um, Toyota, other Chinese automobile manufacturers, they're working on some batteries for the cars that are going to Im- improve the batteries. Tesla's working on it too. My point is that they're all working on it at the same time. That is a little unusual. Although when you see the cooperation that, that we've been going through worldwide for the pandemic, um, it's not as surprising, I guess. And actually, I think the fact that so many international and domestic companies worked together, so many governments worked together, I think it's putting a little speed into the co-development of these technologies because they are going to help like a lot. They're going to create a lot of jobs. They're going to create a lot of sales. By the way, all the people that are creating those products, the sales don't all go to them. I mean, GM's pro- if GM makes a 5% net after tax profit margin, they are kicking their heels up in joy. Let me repeat that. If GM makes 5% net profit margin, they kick their heels up. <laughs> they celebrate. What does that mean? Well, 95% of the money has been spent on something, including income taxes, by the way. But the, uh, the bottom line is they're paying all those people. GM doesn't get to keep all the money that they get for selling a car. The vast majority of that money is going out the window, or not out the window, it's actually going into the pockets of the people who work there and the people who sell those cars and the people who service those cars, which, by the way, all those people eat food, drive cars, live in housing, and buy clothing. That makes sense? It, what I'm saying is the entire economy expands when one tiny section of it starts to, starts to grow. And we've got a bunch of big ones, big industries. They're all growing. You know, I look at this stuff, it, it just blows my mind how fast this stuff is, is moving. So if I'm looking at over the next 10 years or the next 20 years for the stock market, I have no concern whatsoever. So if you are under the age of 50 and you're not close to 80 or 90% invested in stocks in your 401k, I think you're making a mistake. I think you're making a big mistake. 
if you're approaching 60 and you got 80 to 90% of your money in stock, I think you're making a mistake too. Because just because the stock market goes up doesn't mean it's going to go up today. It can go sideways for an incredibly long time period before it goes up. And if it's going sideways and you're spending money, guess what's happening to your savings? It's going down. So when that big move does come, you miss it. Why? Because you had to spend too much money. That, that's a risk, a big risk. That's why we've been talking about the fixed index annuities, or that's why we've been talking about the investment-only annuity that's got a rider that you can add to uh, guarantee an income from, which has a chance to go higher. The fixed index annuities have higher interest rates right off the bat, so they don't go any higher. They start out where they're going to peak. They start out at their highest. The other ones start out lower with the chance to go higher. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in today's show because we always do. But between those two categories, I think we're in pretty good shape. You've got a uh, uh, really good returns being offered there given the current environment that we're in today. Uh, the one, uh, actually the investment-only annuity you could be you could be any age and use that. It works like a non-deductible IRA. You have all these funds you can invest in. You put money into it. Actually, a non-deductible IRA with no limit on contributions. You can put as much as you want in there. That that's interesting. Uh, if you are, I just started thinking of something. By the way, I I, I kind of hate when I do that. I go back and listen to my radio show, and I jump from topic to topic to topic because that's just how my brain works. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, one of the things I was thinking of with the investment-only annuities, let's say you're, you've got a bunch of mutual funds and you've got a, uh, they're not in your IRAs, they're in a taxable account, and you're paying taxes on the dividends and capital gains, and it's really making you upset. And you might even be to the point where you're paying taxes on your Social Security. Well, there are some techniques you, you can use to defer those gains, namely an investment-only annuity. There's no sales charge in or out, no sales charge in or out. Okay, that's a big deal. They have extremely low expense ratios, and which means more of your money stays in your account instead of going to unnecessary fees. You can add riders to it if you want to, but those are optional. You can take money out of it anytime you want. No penalty, no um, sales penalty. If you took money out before you were 59 and a half, there would be a small tax penalty for having not waited until you were 59 and a half to start accessing those funds. Anyway, very flexible and extremely flexible. And if you're in a position where some of your Social Security is being taxed because your income is too high and, and a part of your income is the uh, are the interest payments or dividend payments that you're getting from your investments, well, you know, you can defer that. You don't actually have to take those. You can defer that with an investment-only annuity. And you might even be able to get your taxable income down below that level where you, you know, stop paying taxes on your Social Security. That, that would be nice. So, again, if you hear anything that I'm talking about, and I'm, I have a tendency, like I said, to talk about a lot of different things in a fairly short time period, but if you hear something that, that you'd like more information on, feel free to go to my website. It's BullingtonCapital.com. You can reach out there. Now, a lot of you people have been reaching out, and that's been very nice. Uh, a lot of people have been reaching out, but they don't tell me what they want to know. <laughs> They say, I have a question. Well, you're supposed to fill that question in so that I would know what to, what to look up before I call you back. But yeah, so if you do have a question about anything you've heard, feel free to kind of, and you don't even have to put the question down if you don't want to. 
I will reach out to you. Uh, I'll send you an email first, uh, and then we'll try to set up a, a phone call. We can meet in person. There's no cost to doing that. Um, I like to, uh, we're not a, a low pressure firm. We're no pressure. I, I uh, have a tough time being able to call back the people that want to talk to me. So you'll never get haunted by uh, pesky salespeople. How, how's that? Anyway, I've got about, uh, I don't know, probably 40 seconds before I have to take a real quick commercial break. So um, I'll just redirect you to the website in a little bit later in today's, it's bullingtoncapital.com, by the way. You can also email me, bill at bullingtoncapital.com, but there's a contact us page. It'll go, it, it's so much easier just to go right there. And, and I, again, I will try to get back to you as quickly as I possibly can. Um, this has uh, been a crazy couple of years. You know, it's just... Uh, Unlike anything I've seen in my entire career, and I've been doing this for over 30 years now. I can't believe it. can't believe I'm that old, <laughs> but I am. So anyway, um, yeah, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these technologies that are pushing the economy forward and should do very well for all of us. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. Trading watches with the heart of darkness. Going to blows with your fear and gone. Never going to the stripped away. We thought of you was gotta die to change. In the morning you gon' need an answer. Ain't nobody gonna change the standard. It's not enough to just feel the flame. You gotta burn your old self away. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Feel free to go to my website to reach out to me. It's BullingtonCapital.com. You can uh, sign up there for our newsletter, and you can reach out. Uh, just tell me when would be a good time to call you, and I'll call you back. Or somebody from my office will call and set up a phone call. So that works well, too. And we're just kind of talking about all the stuff that will be driving the economy forward going forward. Uh, and not all this stuff, but some of the main stuff, there's a ton of research. If you want to, if you really want to get lost in the internet for, for a while, which is very easy to do, it's always been easy to do, but even easier today, go in and type electric cars and batteries. Just Google that term. You will see a ton of the stuff that I'm talking about. If you hear about anything you'd like to see, I can always send you the link to it as well. But it's amazing now over the past few months, how many companies, major companies, are revving up facilities to make their own batteries. And there are several different kinds. The range is going to get a lot better. Uh, the uh, uh, durability is going to get better. Lightness. 
they're improving exponentially. That's all I'll really say. And that's really important, by the way. And, and like I'm, I'm here to tell you something. I've always uh, kind of paid attention. Nobody's talking about the restructuring of the grid at this point. And the reason that they're not talking about it, at least one of the reasons, is that it would require an amazing amount of money in the United States. When you take these power lines down and put them underground, remember, I now I'm really aging myself again. I remember when they dug the trenches for cable television. I remember seeing the little machines out in front of people's yards digging up these trenches and putting in the, the cables for cable television. Now, at some point in time, they're going to have to do that again, but this time it's going to be with electricity. And that is going to make that, the, the cable television business, seem like chicken scratch. <laughs> That's what it's going to look like. That is a mind-boggling thing. The electric utilities are going to change. They're not going to be generating nearly as much of the electricity as a percentage of, of usage by the, the general public in the future as they do now. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. That doesn't mean that they're going to have to lay people off because they're still going to have to have distributors. It's still completely inefficient to have multiple companies out there digging up lines to put in electric. They're not going to do that. That ain't going to happen. So the electric utilities are, are literally going to be the ones that own the lines and uh, are basically brokers of electric. A lot of them are, are doing that now. I mean, that, that's already happening in a lot of places. Actually, it's been happening for quite a while. But that part is going to grow. The solar panels, you know, it's going to improve. You'll be selling stuff. There's going to be a lot of equipment for your house. You live in a sunny area. You're going to be able to collect more electricity than you can use. You can sell it to the grid. They'll sell it to somebody else over those lines that they have to maintain. So you don't have to lay anybody off. I mean, are some people... Some jobs will be eliminated, but they're going to be created. They're going to be replaced by others. So uh, that will be a very difficult time for people who are working inside of a lot of plants. Uh, if we don't need to use quite as many of those, they may have to uh, transition. And I'm sure they'll offer training for them. Well, they've already talked about all this stuff, by the way. And I'm just, I'm not making any of this up. I'm just reporting on uh, what I've read and trying to let people know this is this is yeah this is where a lot of really good jobs are going to be coming from in the future so uh, the trades you know, the skills there there's shortages of those guys right now right now you want to be an electrician a plumber a carpenter the uh, drywaller painter whatever yeah there's a shortage of those guys out there go try to look at the the uh well two things Lumber prices have shot up, have gone way up over the past, you know, year, eighteen months, and the cost of labor has actually gone up, not nearly as much, but at some point in time, we've got a shortage of workers here. That's sounds like the nineteen seventies all over again. It's a, a wage, I forgot what they called it. I'm gonna have to go look that up. There was something. There was a there was another component that was involved, and it created a spiral. So. The, Wages go up. Oh, yeah, wage costs spiral. Cost of living goes up, so you have to pay more money. 
you have to pay more money so the cost of living goes up. (laughs) Where does that stop? Well, it actually doesn't stop. It slows down and it speeds up. That's what it does. It's what it's always done. It's what it's always going to do. If you were to ask me, I would think that we're probably in for a cycle where the prices start to rise a little bit faster than wages are going up, and eventually that'll catch up. Industries are going to go away that used to be here. I remember reading the original um, security analysis book by Ben Graham. Ben Graham, if you don't know, and if you're under the age of 50, you probably don't know. Ben Graham was Warren Buffett's graduate school teacher and his first employer and taught him how to pick stocks. How's that? <laughs> you think he did pretty good? You think he was a good student? The uh, I would, you know, being that he's one of the most successful investors that's ever lived, I would say, yeah, he probably listened to a thing or two. Anyway, uh, why am I saying this? Well, because Ben Graham wrote these books. He was considered by a lot to be the father of value investing. And uh, very pragmatic, um, you know, looked at things the way they were, reported on it that way, wrote like crazy. If, if he weren't in finance, he should have been a, you know, a lawmaker. Um, I detest those 3,000-page documents, by the way. But uh, some people like it. And in some cases, it, it is necessary. Not in all cases, but that's beside the point. Ben Graham wrote this book back in the 1930s what's called security analysis, and it was how to analyze securities for potential investments. And a number of the stocks, of the high technology stocks, these stocks were considered to be cutting edge technology companies. They were making cans for food. That was high technology in the 1930s. We're making cans for food. (laughs) Campbell soup, ring a bell. So anyway, the reason I, I laughed about that because there were a whole bunch of companies around at that time that were making cans for food, and so what happened was they were competing with each other. The uh, you know, in, in capitalism, one of the one of the really tough parts about that is only the strongest, fastest, most nimble survive, and it takes a lot of luck too. So a lot of those companies that he wrote about in that original book, they're not around anymore. They're just not around. And I know if you're under the age of 50, the chance of you having read any of that stuff, probably probably zero. But that's okay. Uh, if you're ever really interested, you, you might have to go to Amazon to buy a, a copy of that book somewhere. And, and it may be somebody else's book. I, I don't doubt that they're even printing those anymore. But uh, it was the basis for uh, investing. And he was basically, one of the things that he said what, which I really liked a lot, something that we'll uh, start to talk about a little bit more as the show progresses um, throughout the next year or two, because there is an, a couple of investment clubs I'd really like to attend uh, that we haven't been able to because of the pandemic, or I haven't been able to. And uh, it's still the basis. I mean, it's still the basis for what investors should be doing. If you're going to buy individual stocks, because you have an interest in that, then you should know something about the company. And knowing the last share price doesn't count. That's not enough. You can't make money if that's all you know. Well, actually, you can make money, and it's very sad because if you're going to make money, that's why it's going to be because of luck. And I, you know what amazes me? How many people wear that badge of, I made money and I didn't study at all. 
the that's uh, unbelievable how many people are so proud of that. And you know what happens if they hang around long enough? They will give it all back. <laughs> you have to learn something. You cannot just wing it. It's not going to happen. And that's typically why I, I normally my clients are normally not very young because younger people have a really tough time with that, especially when they hear somebody like me who's a little bit older than they are and taking the tone of voice I take. That just gets the defiance going way up. (laughs) And you know why I do that? I hope you go out there and invest that way. And when you get your butt beat, and you will, (laughs) you're going to remember this show. You're going to remember me. You're going to remember I was laughing about it, and you're going to be upset. (laughs) Maybe at that point, you'll actually stop and start to learn. Maybe. Some of you will. Now, some of you will will be like I am and say, well, why is the guy getting all excited? The um, well, Maybe there's something to this, and maybe you'll start reading. <laughs> it's not that hard. In fact, investing is really not that hard. There's only so much you can know about a company, and that, that's where people fail over and over and over again. They try to know the unknowable. It's not necessary in order to be a successful investor. You do not have to know what the future is going to be to be, in a success, to be a successful investor. You need a general idea of the overall direction, which for stocks is up. Okay, that's what you need to know about that. Diversification is key. That's also what Ben Graham wrote about a lot, like a lot, a lot. And uh, then that was one area where Warren Buffett actually disagreed with him. He read this thing by Phil Fisher. That's Ken Fisher's dad, if you know who that is. But the... uh, Anyway, he wrote this book, read this book, and it said, no, concentrate your holdings. And you know what? There's always an element of luck involved, and I'm telling you, there was an an element of luck involved. And Warren Buffett, he wouldn't even um, dismiss that. Now, if you keep doing what he did, eventually you will get lucky. But if you get lucky sooner rather than later, that's cool, too. (laughs) That's really cool. Anyway, it's not a, uh, uh, most of it is understanding how markets behave, understanding that, yeah, the market can go down significantly. In fact, one of the things when I first started in the industry and I was reading about Warren Buffett and I read a quote where he said, if you can't stand to see this, the value of your stocks drop by 50% or more, don't buy stocks. I thought he was kidding. I went into my manager and said, hey, look, is that true? And my manager, oh, no, my manager was afraid I wouldn't be able to sell anything. So uh, he said, oh, that, that, that almost never happens. And then I started looking in the average range of the average stock on the New York Stock Exchange, the premium of all stock exchanges in the entire world, okay, is 50% a year. <laughs> the average range is 50% a year, up and down. That's the long-term average. And it's actually probably a little higher than that now. So all these people were hiding all this stuff, thinking that you would be afraid. And I was thinking, hey, wait a minute. If this is going to happen anyway, wouldn't you rather be prepared for it? That way you don't get all upset thinking something's wrong and you panic and sell your stocks and move it all to cash right before the market goes up without you. Or even if you did buy it back when it was on its way up, the chances of you timing that up and adding value to it are incredibly remote. That means there's a very small chance. 
I don't know why I use that incredibly remote phrase. I've been using that for you. I got to find new phrases. <laughs> Actually, you can send me new phrases at, I'll, uh, at my website uh, and uh, I'll take a look at them and I'll start to use the ones I like if, if I really like them. And you're not offensive to anybody. Can't do that. But, uh, but anyway, the bottom line is uh, there are things out there that you can uh, do today. Uh, stocks are not as complicated as as people think it is, it's that's just that they keep, they want to know answers that you can't know the answers to. Now, if, if you don't believe that, just read for six months, take six months out of your life and read the Wall Street Journal. You don't even have to pay for it. You go to the library, pick it up. What I want you to focus on are the, uh, the articles about the earnings on companies as they report their earnings. I want you to see how many analysts have estimated the earnings incorrectly. These guys are from Harvard, Yale, um, ton of you know Northwest University, Ohio State's business school. They have multiple master's degrees. They have degrees from the industry, and they're missing constantly. <laughs> By the way, this is all they do, and they're missing constantly why are they missing well it's because it's that hard you know they're going to be a lot closer in most cases than you and i than you or i will be in well in a lot of cases but they miss they they never get these things on the head estimates are either too high or too low so how do you how do you deal with that well you diversify you invest in funds you don't put all your money in stocks you kind of try to get an idea of how much risk you really can take. How much risk can you really take? I end up uh, getting people who say, well, I can't take more than a 15% decline. Okay, well, you can't have more than 30% of your money in stocks. Why? Because Warren Buffett said they're going to be down 50%. <laughs> and if you had 30% of your money in stocks and they're down 50%, well, you're down 15%. Okay, so you, you've been able to curve that to 15%. The, the trouble with that today is the other 70% is going to be in, in bonds or CDs that are paying 1% or less. That, that's a problem. That's a big problem. What do you do about that? Well, you, you're going to have to work on probably in yourself. You're going to look at products like a fixed index annuity for a big portion uh, of some of that money that you need to have a guarantee on. You might look at the investment-only annuity that's got a guarantee on income that you can take out but also gives you the chance to grow. And then you got a traditional portfolio, and I hear the music, so I got to take a real quick commercial break. You listen to Bill Bullington. I'll be right back. You're so alone. You're so afraid. I heard you pray in Jesus' name. It may be midnight or midday. It's never early, never late. He gon' stand by what he claimed. I lived enough life to say. I woke up to the summer shining through, calling on my friends, asking what's the move. Feeling a little different, I'm on something new. Today, today, I ain't gonna let no clouds get in my way. The only road I'm walking is the one I pick. And we're back. Wow, that was loud. <laughs> uh, you know, I had to uh, apologize. I sometimes I get carried away. I get a little excited, but. 
what I do and and I, and I really when I'm when I'm loud and it seems like I might be disrespectful, I'm really trying to push you away from making a mistake. And that that that's one of my faults. I really try to prevent people from making as many mistakes as they can. And quite frankly, you know, I even know better. You're going to have to go out and get beat up uh, and learn for yourself a lot of the time. I've always said experience is the best teacher, but in my case, I learned, well, probably 20 years ago, so not that long ago, that it was a whole lot better if it was someone else's experience. <laughs> and I was just learning from it. So that that's why I watch. That's why I read. You know, ooh, don't want to repeat that mistake if I don't have to. And uh, one of the biggest mistakes I think people make is underestimating the amount of risk they're taking. Uh, second, well, actually, I think the largest that that would be number two. Number one is is actually thinking that they can take more risk than they can. Um, number three is underestimating the amount of return that they're going to get. I'm sorry. I mean, overestimating the amount of return they might get when they've only got 30% of their money invested in stock funds or stocks. You know, that's the, uh, that's tough. There are an awful lot of people out there with a lot of money in fixed income who are waiting for a bond to come along or CDs to come back. And, and, you know, I just can't imagine them raising interest rates really high anytime soon. Now, maybe I'm wrong. But history says when your government has a tremendous amount of debt, and actually history's not that good at this, by the way, because after World War II, we are right about the same level, the debt to, to the economy, if you look at the ratio. It's about the same as it was right after World War II. Now, I know a lot of younger people, people younger than my age, when they hear this, they go, oh, that's not true. Well, look it up. You have Google. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. We are at the same levels we were after we came back from World War II. And that led to a few decades of really good growth, despite the fact that we had all this debt and we had to pay uh, interest on it. And we were paying interest at a much higher rate. That was in those days. Today, you know, we didn't have the Internet back then. Heck, I don't even know if Al Gore was born. <laughs> But the, uh, there was no internet, there was no way of knowing, you know, some people knew, but the vast majority of the public had no idea. So, you know, in some cases, you know, ignorance is bliss and it was blissful. We grew our way out of that big, big, uh, astronomical debt. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble. The, uh, anyway, we grew our way out of that big debt. It's astronomical. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, everything, you know, turned out pretty well. They got really happy, though, once they started paying down the debt, and then they got to a, a point where uh, they weren't at deficit spending anymore, and they had surpluses. So as soon as they got surpluses, they invented this program you may have heard of called Medicare. They started printing money up just to pay for Medicare without raising taxes. Uh, and that ended up in double-digit inflation, in super high interest rates in the 1970s. Don't know that that'll happen again because back then, again, we weren't very sophisticated. Didn't know that much about it. Today, if you were to raise interest rates, let's say they just went back to a, let's say went back to 3.5% on a one-year treasury. Okay, 3.5% on a one-year treasury. 
that would raise the the budget, the, the federal budget, by probably somewhere around mm, three hundred billion, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's a lot of money. You know, that would actually make the debt one of the largest items on the federal budget, interest on debt, which means they can't be spending that on military. They can't be spending that on vaccinations. They can't be spending that on on hospitals or schools. uh, It's got to be spent on paying debt. I'm just not sure that anybody's willing to do that. that, Because that'll get reported on lickety split. And you can bet I will. (laughs) So listen to the show. If they start doing that, we'll start pulling up to Thomas Register. They, They recorded the minutes of every congressional meeting. And I'll start telling you where they're taking the money from so that they can put more money towards the interest on the national debt. So, and I, you know, I don't know. It's, I know people would love to be able to buy treasuries and earn enough interest on them to not have to worry about working. Um, boy, that would be crushing on the younger generations that would be trying to buy homes. I remember when I got out of high school, a mortgage was 18%. 18% on a mortgage. And by the way, that wasn't the top. It came two years after I was out of high school. It was 22, 22% interest. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, producer's here shaking his head. Going, it was real. I can tell you. People were getting, they had this thing they invented. It was relatively new at the time. It was called a money market account. Money market account had not existed prior to that point. And they were paying 18% interest on a money market. <laughs> you know what they are today? Point five. <laughs> if you're lucky, that's a good one. Okay. So I guess in the realm of all possibilities, I guess all things are possible. But boy, and you, by the way, when interest rates were climbing up like that, higher and higher and higher, the stock market went sideways. The Dow hit a, a point in 1966 that it didn't get above and stay above until the early 80s. Talk about a long time with very little to show. So that's what I mean when I'm saying I'm not sure that this government, that this administration or any government or administration that would be here would have the guts to raise interest rates just to three or 4%. I don't know that they would because they'd have to quit spending on so many other things to be able to send that money over to the uh, interest on the national debt. Will they do it? I don't know. I didn't think Jimmy Carter would do it. I didn't think, I mean, I thought, and, and by the way, Paul Volcker told him, he said, look, if you do this, you're going to go down as one of the worst presidents in the history of the country. And uh, Jimmy Carter said, well, will it fix the problem? He said, yes, it will. Then go ahead and do it. And uh, you know, in fact, Jimmy Carter was really, 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 really highly intelligent, which makes me think he really didn't want to be reelected. <laughs> you know, he really didn't. <laughs> But he sacrificed himself politically. And by the way, I am agnostic. I, I look for the guy who's going to do the best for the economy. I don't really care what party affiliation they have. I'm looking for the person who I think will do the best job for the economy. And um, they all talk a good game. They talk a good game. But um, anyway, so bottom line is got to be careful today. You don't want another one of those periods. You know, If you're coming up and you're close to retirement, You shouldn't be 100% invested in stocks. Do I think stocks are going to do well over the next 10 years? Yes, I do. But they may wait for 10 years to put that two years in. 
you know, that two-year big run may come 10 years from now. <laughs> and what do you do in the meantime? Go back to work, I guess, you know, if you've retired. Now, now, my goal is really, I think I've told you a million times, I need to be able to make enough money to be able to retire so that I can take a job at Lowe's. Because I will not, I will end up spending a big part of my uh, savings and retirement in addition to my whole salary on tools. <laughs> That's what happens when you're the son of a carpenter. <laughs> you just, it did never, you, all, you get sawdust in your veins. That's what my dad used to say. You've got sawdust in your veins. Yeah, yep, uh, still do. And don't have nearly the tools I would love to have. <laughs> Taking me to, uh, um, whatchamacallit, uh, to Lowe's is like taking a kid to a candy store. They don't even have candy stores anymore. But poor kids, they don't get to see that. Yeah, maybe we should start one. There's one in Strongsville, I think. It's on Pearl Road, somewhere around there. At the Olympia or something like that. I can't remember. I'll have to go back. I'll have to drive back out there and see if they're still there. I haven't been down that road in so many years. But uh, anyway, I hear that uh, my show is almost over. So you've been listening to Bill Bullington, if you're still here, after the last hour. <laughs> And feel free to reach out to me on my website, bullingtoncapital.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions regarding any of this stuff, if you'd like to see a quote, see how much money you might be able to get from one of those annuities, uh, I'd be glad to send that to you. Uh, I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. And uh, also you can find a copy of this on my website or you can go to the 955thefish.com and it's there under their uh, podcast section, I think. So I'm not sure why anybody would want to listen to this again, but <laughs> I have a really tough time listening to my own voice. My, my mom was very complimentary, though. She said, you know, you have the, you have the perfect face for radio. I was like, it took me a while to get that, too. <laughs> now, she never said anything like that. She's, she, she listens to the show. I'm going to get a phone call now. But uh, anyway, so we had a good time this, this weekend. Uh, I really think that we're in pretty good shape. Uh, as an economy, there are so many things that are growing right now. I think it's a good a good thing. You got to be careful though if you're taking money out to supplement your retirement income. You don't want to be 100. percent You don't want to be too heavily invested in stocks because we will have other corrections. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and that could really impact your whole retirement. And why would you want to do that? So if you have any questions on that, you know, feel free to call me. It's uh, go to my website. My phone number is 330-664-0700 if you don't have internet access. And now that I hear the music, that means the show is definitely over. Thanks again for listening. This is Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.